Good morning. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, really good to be with you here this morning. Uh, my name is Glenn. For those of you who are maybe watching for the first time online and visiting today, it's a great day for us on a number of, for a number of reasons, which I'll get into. But uh, well, first of all, we are for the first time in six months. Uh, uh, dear Lord, wow, six months that we are sort of gathering here on Sunday morning. We have uh, registration so people could sign up and be here this morning. So welcome to all of you who are here. It's great to have you here. And then we're continuing on Facebook Live uh, today, and we will be for the foreseeable future, although we'll make a, a small change on our streaming provider and service in the weeks to come. But first and foremost, a couple of announcements. Number one, uh, 11 years ago to the day, September 27th, 2009, uh, the Rock Church held its first Sunday gathering. Uh, so this is our 11th anniversary today. Amen? That's awesome. And uh, last year we had a 10th anniversary celebration, and I was just saying to Janice yesterday, how amazing is it, how, how good is God in so many ways, but that last year we could gather together back at Eagle Eye in a full house and then come here afterwards and have a wonderful reception and celebrate that. So today, for our 11th anniversary, we're just going to say, thank you, Lord, <laughs> and move on. And maybe we'll celebrate in a big way again at 15 or 20 if some of you are here, because I don't know. I don't know if I will be, but we'll see how that goes. A couple of quick announcements, though, and first is to say that, uh, yes, we are continuing to live stream. Uh, we are using our trusted Mevo camera, which is what it's called today for hopefully the last time. We've invested in some new equipment that should be live next week. So those of you who are at home, uh, we'll see uh, some enhanced features, much better video and audio, although the audio is pretty good today, should be the same. Uh, but just to be able to put the lyrics back over the screen and so on and so forth, it'll be really, really awesome. As I also alluded to, we are going to be moving to another streaming service over the next little while um, and probably in the next two weeks. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the primary reason would be that not everybody go figures on Facebook, <laughs> right? And there are some people who are leaving Facebook. Now, that's a whole other story. I'm not going to get into that this morning. That just happens to be a reality. So we're going to be moving to a streaming service where we will be able to stream live on Sundays like we are doing today. But the live feed will be on our website and it'll also be on our Church Center app. And so, therefore, anyone who is uh, on the internet can come to our website. We'll be able to watch the live stream. You don't have to be on Facebook. And this new system will allow us also to have chat and comments and prayer rooms and things like that. So it's, it's going to be actually really amazing. So I mentioned the Church Center app, and on that note, we want to encourage you today. Let me see if I can get this to work. Um, turn it on, Glenn. There we go. Yes, as it says on our website, get the app. We have an app called Church Center App. It is really quite amazing uh, how we can communicate to you and how you can also find out all the things that are going on at the Rock Church. So it's a simple download, whether you're using Mac, uh, iOS, uh, Apple iOS, or Android. Yes, that other team, uh, which is pretty awesome. You can download the app and all of our resources, including Sunday school programs and so forth, are there. How to sign up for things like missional community groups, Yes, that's next on the hip parade this morning of announcements uh, are all there. And so I really want to encourage you, everyone in our church, uh, to go there and be part of that. You can sign up for missional community groups. You can sign up for servant teams. I just want to highlight that this morning. Probably uh, three-quarters of the people who are here this morning are on our servant teams. That's kind of the way the church should be, right? The people who come to church serve, right? It's an awesome thing. And uh, so we're really grateful for that. Thank you to all of you who are this morning, worship team, connect team, setup team, 
uh, audiovisual team. It's, it's really a uh, keynote team. It's, it's really amazing to have you all here, and we thank you for that. So mission community groups are rebooting uh, this week and next, I believe, in all of them. So if you're not in a mission community group, may I encourage you to please sign up and get into one. It is the life of the Rock Church. Um, some of them will be gathering occasionally in person, otherwise on Zoom and other ways. So, um, but yeah, get connected and become known here at the Rock Church and get to know some of your church family. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please open them to the Gospel of Luke? We are continuing in our series in this amazing Gospel today. We're going to be in verses 41 to 48, and I'm going to read the passage as I normally do this morning, and then I pray one more time, and then we will dive into today's text. So read along with me, with me as Luke records uh, the, the second day as Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem for the last week of His earthly life, such a huge and important week. Begin reading with me in verse 41. And He, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, and He wept over it, saying, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his every word." Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You. Uh, yeah, thank You for this day. Thank You, Lord, that we are able to, once again, some of us gather together in person here this morning. What a blessing it is, Lord, to be here and uh, to see each other, to greet one another, um, to sing Your praises together in this room and with our friends who are online this morning. Lord, we thank You for whatever way it is possible that we can gather together as the church, where we can have connection and fellowship together, where we can pray together, where we can hear Your Word proclaimed and sing these songs together. Lord, we just thank You for worship. We thank You for praise. We thank You for Your Word. Holy Spirit, would You, would you do a move in our hearts today? Would you take these words from this text and the words that you've given to me, would you use them in a mighty way? Would you touch our hearts? Would you show us more deeply who our Jesus really is? We want to know you, Lord Jesus. We want to know you deeply. So today we pray that you would speak to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Your sermon title for today is uh, The Passion of Our Savior. Most of you will know that this week, the name Passion Week, um, in today's text, I think that's what we're going to see, is we're, just, we're going to see His passion. And it's not just the passion of His giving of His life on Friday, although that's the highlight, without doubt. It's Good Friday, and it's coming soon. But it's the passion that He displays today and every day 
as he comes forward to that day. So, three things I hope we will see this morning. Number one is the lament of Jesus, His passionate lament. Secondly is the prophecy. Thirdly, the cleansing prayer and teaching, all in one. I could have gone for a five-point sermon this morning, but we'll put them together in three. So, I was thinking about it this week, and as I usually do, trying to find some sort of connection point in my own life and maybe for you about this this text and where we're at in this text today. And, and I, I was thinking about, a, a, I, I'm going to just be honest with you and share a personal problem I have. Right? I have many, uh, as some of you who've gotten to know me know, but one problem I have, and I'm, I'm wondering if this isn't a problem that many of us have, it's possible, um, if it's some kind of disorder. I actually reached out to a, a friend in this community that many of you know, and she's a counselor, uh, a psychologist, I believe, and I just said, like, I, I want to describe the condition to you that I have, and I just want to let you know, is there a name for it, right? You know, besides just anxiety, right? And like something like, um, you know, OCD or, you know, uh, ADD, which I believe that I suffer from both on some kind of spectrum, right? Or, okay, maybe not, but... So, so here's the thought. Think about it this way. As I, I suggested to her, and I want you to think about it, it's this. In my life anyway, when there is a, a known conflict uh, or an event coming up, like in three, four, or five days, um, I find it remarkably hard to be able to actually focus on what I need to do today, get done today, work through today, because there's that there's that thing that's out there. It's coming, right? It could be in three, four, five days, and especially now if it's, if it's conflict. It doesn't have to be with me. It can be a conflict that others are in, and if you're a pastor, other people are in conflicts, and you need to go and be part of that. And so I just, like, I find it really difficult. Anybody else? Anybody else got the T-shirt? I mean, it's, it's like I can't focus. I, and then what you do is, what I do anyway, is I start to ruminate about it, right? I start to think over and over about this thing and, 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 uh, and of course, try to work it out. And, but it's just like, I wish I could pick up the phone and I, I wish we could just do it right now. Like, can we just get this settled? And then I, I could get on with things. And so what ends up happening is I end up procrastinating. I end up putting things off, ultimately losing focus on the day-to-day. And I think a big reason, obviously, is I, I can't get that issue out of my mind. It just bothers me. I don't know. Do you suffer from that? As I was talking to this counselor, she made me feel really good because she said, Glenn, it's pretty common. <laughs> Many people have that. None of you seem to be nodding. I don't know what the problem here is, but anyway, I think clearly treatment is in order then for myself. So as I prepared about today's text, the continuing story in the life and ministry of Jesus as He enters Jerusalem for the last week of his early life. Listen, he, as I said last week, he knows the timing, right down to the millisecond. He knows that he is to arrive exactly on the day and time that he did. He knows that that's important. It's the week of Passover, and, and as the Lamb of God, he knows that on Friday he will be the first lamb slain. He knows that. He knows the minute and death of his uh, hour of his death and all that will take place. So the question that I have for us today is that look at this is Monday in this narrative. It, it, it's Friday. It was a rather large event and conflict going to take place. Well, actually, conflict throughout the week takes place. And so my question for us today is: as we look at Jesus, how is it possible that he just doesn't say to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, "Hey, listen, let's just go to your place." I just want to hang out with my friends. I don't want to be part of the hustle and bustle of town. I just want to hang out with you guys until 
Friday, and then, then we'll let it happen. More so, how is it that he is able to… Listen, everything we're going to read about today happens on one day. It happens on Monday. How is it possible that he is able to stay focused? Stay focused. And not only that, get stronger and stronger and stronger as the week goes on. I want to suggest to you that there are some wonderful lessons to be learned from him in this week for you and I here today related to that issue and problem that I think a lot of us have. And so let's look at some of those wonderful lessons today related to our Savior, how he approaches this week beginning here in verse 41 and 42 of Luke. I'll put them back on screen for you or up on screen for the first time. And it's related to point number one, which is his lament. And so he, again, we read these words. And when he drew near to the city, he wept. He wept over the city, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from you. They are hidden from your eyes. So last week, you'll remember that uh, in this story, Jesus has now left Jericho, where He's been for probably about a week, and, and He's made the trek up uh, the mountain, uh, past the Mount of Olives. Uh, he's come through the, the towns of Bethphage and Bethany, um, and He's entered to a chorus, as we read in the verses preceding this, a chorus of, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord.'" peace and heaven and glory in the highest. And of course, that event, that day yesterday, we know has come to be known as Palm Sunday and also as His triumphal entry. And I don't know, but every time I look at that heading in my Bible, I go, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure that on that day that was the perception of the crowds that were there. And so what we see is Jesus the lowly, humble, meek Son of God riding into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's hardly regal. It's hardly. It's it's not mocking, but it's, it's definitely a picture of His humility. It's hardly exuding power and might. And so, our, our lesson was, I, I hope we saw last week, our lesson was the impeccable, sovereign will and timing of God even the cult. It's, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy. 500 years previously, that would happen, and it did, to the millisecond. The arrival and every event that happened in his life to this day will happen this week and will happen in the future is under the sovereign will of God. That's who our God is. That's who our King Jesus is. So then as the procession moves along, And the next day, it moves along, and if you look at the other Gospels, you'll see that some other events take place on that evening, and now Jesus is moving forward, and clearly as you come across the next hill, the city of Jerusalem, the jewel that it is, comes into view. And what we read is that when Jesus saw it, now please again, imagine, let's go into that day. There's still His disciples with Him. They're still so hopeful. And the text tells us that he weeps when he sees the city. The the language in the original Greek is such that this is a wailing weep. This isn't just a little private cry. He's weeping 
uncontrollably as he looks at his city. So there's so much for us to see here today. We don't have time to dig too much into it. But what's on display is the emotion, the heart of Jesus in his lament. We've seen his humanity, him being fully God and yet fully man on display before. You'll remember the time that he was called home, although he waited until Lazarus was, yes, dead and buried to come back to rise him from the dead. But before that, when he got to the grave, we read that he wept. It's it's a different kind of weeping. He cried. Uh, Alongside all of those who were wailing and weeping on that day in that place, he wept with them. And and the reason why he wept, we believe, is, is more likely different than today is because of the fact that he had seen a very close friend, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, fall prey and become a victim of something that was never supposed to happen, death. This caused him to weep. It caused him to weep on that day. It grieves God's heart so much, it grieves God's heart so much that, yes, He sent His only begotten Son into this world to defeat the greatest foe that you and I have, the greatest conflict, the greatest worry that any of you and I have in this world today. And He's defeated both of them, or at least He will on Sunday, and we now on this side of the cross know that He has defeated completely sin and what sin causes, death. This is who our God is. So the question for us today, I think, has to be this. Why is Jesus weeping for the city? Why does He look at the city of Jerusalem and and cry in the way that He did? Well, for starters, I think we need to realize this is a very unique situation. This day, this event is an incredibly unique situation. In fact, I want to suggest to you today, it's pivotal, and I want to suggest to you today, something happens on this day that just purely reading the text and flying by to tomorrow's devotions, we will not see. We will not see. So it's a very important day in history. The Son of God, listen, who is the King of the people of Israel, despite their rejection, He comes in weakness, humility to save the weak. Now, why would I put it that way? Well, first of all, because it's true. But it sounds strange, I think, doesn't it? It probably sounded very strange to, or would sound very strange to those in that day who saw Him coming in this humble and weak way to save the weak. Because I think in the Jewish religious mind, but also in the mind of many people today, wait a second, we're the strong ones. I mean, look at us. We are the people who are strong in our faith. Why would we be here, Passover week, making this trek to get to Jerusalem on this day? Look at us. We're worshiping God in the temple. Clang, clang. Look at our offerings and tithes. We're strong. And and in fact, what we need is we need a strong Savior who can come in here with might and power so that He can overcome the wicked, the wicked and mighty Romans. But no, (laughs) Jesus comes as the weak and humble Savior to save the weak. And listen, that's how Jesus and God see them and see us. 
thankfully, that we are in fact weak. And we cannot fight these things on our own. So due to what sin has done to us, all of us, the religious and the irreligious, we are weak and its impact, its effect on us, on His creation, when He sees it, when He looks upon it, it causes Him to weep. I, I, don't, I love that about Him. That's just a heart that cares so much. That's a passion that cares so much for the hurt and the pain and the suffering that sin has brought into this world and is causing all of us in our lives today. So my question for you is, have you ever felt that way? I had a very interesting example of that happen to me years ago when I was in ministry at Union Gospel Mission in downtown Vancouver. Of course, it's known to be a place to feed the homeless, right? And, and many of the people who are down there are drug addicted and alcoholic and primarily men. So there's a drug and alcohol recovery program, but also there's Streetlight Ministries that works with women who are on the streets. And outside the back alley of Union Gospel Mission, which used to break my heart, and one of the reasons why I honestly couldn't stay in that ministry longer than three and a half years, was to go into that back alley and see 13, 14, 15-year-old girls being picked up by men in SUVs. One day, a, a mom came down, as they did often, and had a picture of a beautiful young woman who would maybe be 17, maybe 18 years of age, and, and say, listen, my daughter, have you seen her? Have you seen her? And you know what? Keo or some of the people who are part of our Streetlight Ministries would go, oh yeah, I do recognize her. But she looked way different today. And as mom and as workers saw her, but also saw the picture of her only a few years ago, what had happened in the city to her changed her dramatically. It causes you to weep. Come on. It causes you to weep. And so I, I think what we need to do is we all should see this about the heart of Jesus. His, his weeping, his lament is, please hear this, it's for the whole city. It's not just for the faithful few remnant Jews that are there or the faithful few Gentiles who've come to faith in Him. It's not just for them. It's for the, the whole city. And listen, He knew the, the characteristics of everyone who was there. He knew the, the hearts and the characteristic of, of the Jewish people, let alone the Gentiles and all the Romans. He knew what they were like, right? Their cruelty, their self-righteousness, their stubbornness, their pride, their denial of truth, right? Their lifestyles, their prideful hearts. These things were not hidden from God. They're not hidden from God. We can see them too. He knew well also what they were going to do to him in the next few days. All of them, the vast majority. And yet, and yet, he weeps passionately because his heart is broken for all of them. He saw the whole city and he wept. The late uh, 18th century Anglican preacher uh, his name is uh, R.C. Ryle, he's a theologian as well, said in a sermon, he said this on this passage that we're reading this morning, he said, we err greatly if we suppose that Christ cares for none but His own believing people, 
He cares for all. His heart is wide enough to take an interest in all of mankind. His passion extends to every man, woman, and child on earth. Do we know that? Church. Serious question. My heart has really been encouraged over the past six, seven, uh, eight months by listening to a podcast called This Cultural Moment. I've shared it with our ministry team and many of you before. There's one particular series about a year ago called The Portland Sessions. And what really got my attention was about these pastors that are on this podcast is that every single one of them that's part of this cultural moment, this, this gathering that gets together once a year and has these Portland sessions, is that every single one of them are in the most, listen, liberal, progressive, secular cities in the world. And, and so listen, if you're part of the church of old, I'm talking 40, 50, 60 years ago, you might be asking yourself, why are they there? Because we vacated those cities for the suburbs a long time ago. Well, they're there because they're called to be there and because they have this heart of Jesus for the city. And it's remarkable when you listen to them talking and so forth. It's like, you know what? Yes, the city is the city's liberal. Yes, it's progressive. Yes, it's secular. Yes, Christianity is yawned about and ignored and sometimes hated then rejected, including you, pastor, and your, your congregants. They're there because they love the city. They want to bring Jesus and the gospel to the city. So I've seen this for years in the church, and I'm really grateful in these days today, even during COVID and this pandemic, that many, many church planters and churches are, are going back into the city and are, have a completely changed heart about the city. And it's not about, ooh, unclean, terrible. You know, those people believe these things, therefore they're wrong and they're bad. Can you imagine what it might feel like for a person who's unchurched, irreligious, atheist, whatever you want to call them, what kind of an image do you think they have of us in the church, many of us? Maybe not those of you in this room or those of you watching this morning, but I'll tell you what it is. It's judgmental, critical. The lesson we must learn from today is that church, we need, to, we need to weep over these things, yes. We need to weep over our city and, and, and get, have that, that passionate heart of Christ infect us, because then I think if we do, we will be able to forge ahead just like He does on this day and on the days ahead of Him. So that's our point number one, the lament, the weeping, what it means and why it's so important. Let's move on to the prophecy in verses 43 and 44, Jesus goes on to say, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, in the previous verses, we heard Jesus lament, uh, and I've repeated it a couple times, but I will again, where He says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Th this, these words, would you, are, are a, a Semitic idiom, kind of like, you know, et tu, Brute? <laughs> That's my Latin. Remember that from Julius Caesar? Et tu, Brute? 
Um, That that one being a a little bit from the the perspective of a, a cry of betrayal, but also a lament in the case of Jesus here over failure. Over their failure, and in their case, the failure to appreciate the decades, the centuries, the millennia, quite frankly, of God's mercy, grace, provision, protection, and favor that the Lord has shown to them. They've forgotten it. And as a result of that failure, Jesus prophesies the end of God's favor towards them. That's what these words mean. And as Jesus has done before, he, he foretells literally the destruction of this temple in Jerusalem in AD 70 that did happen, and not one stone was left upon another. So, so they hear that in that day, and they're like, yeah, what, what are you talking about? Well, those who lived until AD 70, which is about 35 years on, would be like, did that humble servant not say this would happen? Well, his disciples would remind them. He would. They would. And so he predicted these events played out exactly as he predicted in these few words. He also tells them, listen, the key reason why it is in the words, because you did not know the time of your visitation. I'll put it to you another way. Again, in the idiom of the language, it could be put this way. They did not want to know They did not want to know. For three plus years now, think about it, Jesus has been preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. He and everything that he's been doing from the moment he preached in his own church, right, in his own synagogue synagogue back home, right, and he declared in the, the scroll of Isaiah, everything he's been doing has been showing them that he is fulfilling to the letter of the law everything that the Messiah must do who comes, including being born of a virgin from the very start. And it's just going on and on. He's fulfilling everything. Miracles to the cult that he's riding in on. We saw that last week. This was prophesied that the Messiah would come this way into Jerusalem on that week and on that day. Truth is, they did not want him. They did not want him. In the end, they did exactly what the apostle Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome. What did they do? They suppressed the truth. Romans 1, read it. It speaks to not only that day, but it speaks to our day today. People who reject God, reject the Scriptures, reject Jesus. Everything that He has shown us of who He is. Paul goes on after he says that they reject or suppress the truth. He says in Romans 1, 19 and 20, for, and this is important, for, for what can be known about God is plain to them. He's speaking past, present, and future tense here. Because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. These words here, they is everyone. Everyone. And this is where we get our understanding that, you know what, some people always ask the question, well, 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 wait a second, what about those people in that village in Africa or South America who a Christian never got to to proclaim the gospel to? What about them? They're without excuse. 
We're, we're all without excuse. He's made it plain to us, but we don't want to know it or believe it. Jesus prophesied on that day very boldly, probably not something that everyone got on that day. But again, we're reading it today because it's been recorded 15, 18 years later by Luke in his interviewing of eyewitnesses so that you and I, like his good friend Theophilus, would believe and have certainty. Point number three, the cleansing prayer and teaching. And he entered the temple on the same day and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, prophecy, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Now, what, again, Luke records in these two verses is momentous. This is where the big shift takes place. Um, we don't have time to completely unpack it this morning, so I'll do my very best to try to explain these things. But first, by entering the temple, we should see this. And yes, again, J Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. On this week and on this day, entering the temple is a fulfillment of prophecy. The last prophet before John the Baptist to write in the Old Testament, anybody know the Italian prophet's name? Okay, he's not Italian. Malachi, Malachi, right? He wrote in his book in chapter 3, verse 1. Look at these words. Behold, I send my messenger 400 years before this event, these events, and he will prepare the way before me, that messenger being John the Baptist. And the Lord, Lord who you seek, look, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So secondly, therefore, Jesus, look what it says here. We, we see in Malachi's prophecy that Jesus is taking possession of his temple. This is his temple. Of course, the Jewish people knew it was the temple of God. The Holy of Holies is where God's presence would be. He's coming to take possession of His temple. He's bringing also the message of the covenant, the new covenant in His blood. Jesus then invokes, invokes Isaiah saying, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, Mark records, of course, people love Mark's uh, rec record of this because, you know, he, he, he displays the other side of Jesus, right? It's not the other side, it's Jesus, right? So, He is the humble and the meek and the lowly but he talks about him turning over tables, just making a mess of the place, displaying some righteous anger and indignation for what is going on in his temple. And so what the Jewish leaders and people had done is create, they of course have created an, an outer court where the Gentiles were allowed to be only there. They weren't to be allowed inside the temple uh, and be able to worship with the righteous Jews, and of course, they were taken advantage of. There was trinkets that they were being sold. They would be charged exorbitant markup prices on a sacrifice, whether it's a dove or a, a lamb, to be able to sacrifice during the Passover week. And they just turned it into this, this place of merchandise. Many years ago, Janice and I and a few others got to go to 
uh, Turkey and to go to the original site of Ephesus, but we also got one day to go to, apparently, uh, the home of the Virgin Mary, where she, when she lived in Ephesus, and it was kind of interesting. It was kind of cool there. It was weird to see a Christmas tree in, inside her house, but anyway, um, it, was, it was strange. It was odd, uh, but it was as we left, and again, I was raised Catholic. I, I love Catholic people, but we, we leave this place, and, and in order to get back to our vehicles that brought us up there, we had to go down this long laneway. Seriously, it was like two, three hundred feet laneway, and either side, little tiny booths with every possible Virgin Mary trinket on the planet that you could buy as a souvenir to take home. This is what they'd done here. And Jesus says, come on, this is my temple. And so this is truly the key event that starts on this day and culminates on the day Jesus is resurrected. It's a very important thing that happens on this day. I remembered uh, back on December 29th of 2019, pre-COVID, can you imagine that? It was amazing. Uh, I preached a, a message called Body Life Part 1. You might want to check it out for a longer dissertation on this subject. Uh, but it was at that time that I shared with you that there are essentially three temple models or three visions or versions of the temple given to us in Scripture. First, there are, of course, the physical temples, or there was the physical temple in Jerusalem. It was destroyed in AD 70, never to be rebuilt. The sacrifices also ended at that time. And so, of course, even today, though, people sometimes look at the church, right? That church buildings are like temples. And, of course, at The Rock, we know the church is not a building place or an event. No, because why? Because that model of temple has ended. And listen, it ended on this day. The day that Jesus came into this temple, He took possession of His temple. And so we know He's announcing the end of this temple model, but then there's the second temple in which we see Jesus making all things new, establishing His new covenant. Jesus blew the leader's collective minds, and John records it in chapter 2 of his gospel when he said these words, destroy this temple. He was talking about His body, but He's standing just outside the gates of the temple. Destroy this temple, temple in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews said, come on. It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? John records, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember what he said, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The temple is now Jesus. God has come to dwell in that temple in that week, and then it'll end. So the material building gave way to the physical body of Jesus. We also know that this material temple was destroyed, but the temple of the body of Jesus was raised. Amen? It was raised on the third day, and it lives forevermore. And so then the question for us needs to be, and the most important question is, where, where does the body of Christ live today, do you think? Do we think? In heaven? In sacred buildings? Well, no as we learned in that series, and I hope you've learned from your study of Scripture, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are temples. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and we are members of the body of Christ. An incredible and true metaphor which describes exactly who we are and who the church is. For clarity, the Apostle Paul 
told the church in Corinth and you and I here today these words. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple today. It began on Monday when he entered the temple. The change happened on that day. Our passage for today ends with these words, and he was teaching daily, I'm going to say, in his temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. They didn't want him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his every word. The day is now over. Jesus teaches them for the next three days in his temple. He will continue to teach. He will continue to teach. He will get stronger and stronger. And so we've seen here that Jesus cleanses his temple. And just as he has cleansed you and I from our sins through the new covenant, his blood, he invites us into his house of worship, his house of prayer, to hear him be part of his body, to be his body and temple, and then go. Where? To the city. <laughs> to the people of the city. To the people of the city. So once again, like last week's big idea, I hope you can see this and find your comfort, your hope, and your confidence in these days and the days that follow in this. Jesus was able to stay focused throughout his whole ministry. But in this last week, come on. He was able to stay focused. And, and again, if you read the passages in all the Gospels, he got stronger and stronger, quieter and humbler, but stronger and stronger till the very end when he cried out the words, it is finished. How did he do it? How did he do that? Well, he did it because in every moment, first of all, he knew the future. He knew what was going to happen. He, he knew all these things moment by moment, but, but also even in the midst of that as a fully human being. What we must see here today and the encouragement we must take from this is this. He fully trusted in his heavenly Father. He trusted in him. Oh, Lord, please help me trust you more. And he relied every moment as a human on the power of the Holy Spirit to get it done. So my prayer for you and for all of us here today as we leave is that we find this kind of peace. When Jesus saw the city, he wept. What did he want for that city? Peace, shalom, that we would find that peace. This kind of peace where, where our heart weeps for the lost this kind of strength that empowers us not only to stay focused and strong every day, but to finish and finish really well. May you be encouraged. May you be blessed. Our Heavenly Father is fully in control. He can be trusted. Pray with me, would you?